This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a Mayo Clinic uh, pathologist in transfusion medicine. Today, we're going to be talking about educational technology that enables virtual classrooms and teaching. This has really been a hot topic lately, given the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all facing today. So today, we're going to discuss how laboratory professionals can use virtual learning and how educational technologies will play a critical role for learners in the future. So today is about a little bit of a mix of, uh, you know, responding to the challenges of today while also trying to fill this podcast with evergreen material that is going to be uh, valuable in the future. So today, we're really fortunate to be rounding with one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Alyssa Hall, uh, Associate Director of Curriculum and Education Technology in the Office of Applied Scholarship and Education Science at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Hall. Thank you, Dr. Carter. It's my pleasure to be here. And as our listeners are probably detecting, uh, Dr. Hall is, is joining us via telephone uh, as opposed to our usual setup in the studio because of the challenges uh, and really the opportunities that we have here with this new COVID uh, pandemic. So I appreciate you, Dr. Hall, your flexibility of, of joining us uh, via phone. It is definitely an experience, and also I think it really adds a little credibility to our topic today about how we're thinking differently about um, engaging one another in uh, dialogue and conversation. So on that point, why don't we kick this off, and for for the listeners, can we just start off with maybe that 50,000-foot that view and uh, this whole—I know there's— this has been an evolution for a decade or more, this virtual learning and edu education technology, ed tech. But um, for those of us that aren't really in this movement, could you kind of give us a little bit of that 50,000 foot view, orientate us, uh, and then maybe where can we start thinking about starting? Yeah. yeah. Um, when we start thinking about uh, virtual or remote learning, really we're talking about how we are uh, using education technology or technology to facilitate learning. So thinking about removing the barriers of time and distance and location and really doing it in a way that can be synchronous, meaning we all come together at the same time to learn, or it can be done asynchronously where, it, again, at the learner's um, time, they can join in uh, and engage in that learning. So again, virtual learning, is how are we employing technology to help facilitate and scaffold um, a learning experience? And a few uh, quick tips to think about um, starting point, really reinforcing how important the facilitator's presence is in this virtual environment. So that teacher presence uh, and how, one, you connect. How do you connect with your learners? So we just talked about synchronously and asynchronously. So defining that and thinking about that as part of the learning experience. And then also, um, outside of that learning experience, how do you communicate and get in touch with the learners or those individuals that you are working with in this learning experience? Second is to communicate. Uh, again, thinking about what do my learners need to know? So if we are engaging in a synchronous 
experience. So a lot right now, a lot of people are using Zoom, for example, or Blackboard Collaborate to come together. What is the expectation for audio? What is the expectation for video? Thinking about how do we help our learners come into this new context, this new environment? So not only for us as teachers, it's new for our learners as well. How do we help them to understand this new uh, context and how to interact in it? So really being transparent and having very concise communication. And then finally, thinking about the virtual learning experience is how do we be authentic? So really thinking about this personal touch. And uh, again, even though Dr. Kreider and I are uh, via phone, really thinking about how we use our tone and how we are talking to each other using our, our names. We are encouraging and acknowledging each other and also using some um, prompts to help us again, uh, engage in this experience at, at a distance. I think one of the most important things is giving each other grace in this process because we're all learning together and uh, we can go a long way when we start looking at this, that we're all in it together. Oh, that's interesting. I really like that. So, uh, you know, you, you hit on these three points of presence, communication, authenticity. And I, I think, or my mind thinks about, we also talked about this uh, di dyad of synchronous at the same time and asynchronous, uh, so not at the same time. And my mind immediately goes to, I imagine for people just getting started, that uh, that first point Dr. Hall brought up of presence, that probably really uh, is something to be mindful of when you're uh, doing synchronous uh, work at first and just getting started. And so um, as a component to be mindful of. And then the communication piece, I, I could see that really is really an important thing to be mindful of when we're thinking about asynchronous uh, material. So if we're putting together uh, schedules or things to be very good about putting things in one place or have things organized in a way that would make sense to the to the learner and then the, your third point authenticity uh, I really see is that's really trying to bring out um, I guess Dr. Hall I get you right that it's really kind of about bringing out your personality in both the synchronous and asynchronous writing that that you do agree completely. And I will also add on to that communication piece, even in a synchronous environment, talking somebody through the flow of what that day or that experience is going to look like, how to communicate during that synchronous. Am I supposed to type in the chat? Do I raise my virtual hand? Little prompts like that in a synchronous environment. Also, again, welcome people into the environment and help you as a facilitator in a synchronous environment know that you are uh, your learners are with you um, even when you maybe can't see all of them uh, in the same face-to-face -face environment oh brilliant so uh so riffing on that and i guess we're now moving into uh how you can really be effective uh, is where i'm hearing you go and and so that's something that i think that a lot of times education technology has come under fire a lot from in terms of you know we can't do what we're doing with medical education and we can't make just youtube videos and people are going to learn that's not really effective learning but um this world has evolved for a while what what do we know about what are some ways that we can make this virtual environment 
work for effectiveness uh, so that we don't just come out on the other side of this pandemic and have to uh, figure out how we're going to double, triple up schedules and reteach everybody everything. I really want to tie it and ground it in um, first taking that baby step. So for a lot of people transitioning to online, it's a matter of simply starting with how am I going to um, move online with uh, a didactic experience. And so for some people, it's starting small and simple and thinking about, again, how do I, how do I get my learners connected and have that didactic experience? What's very, very important, though, are two uh, key things. One is that wait time and how we are being very deliberate in an online environment, a virtual environment for wait time allowing people to mute and unmute their microphones, allowing people to think, um, how are we engaging uh, people that way? And then secondly, I think Dr. Kreuter, one of our, our favorite books is the Make It Sick book, and really thinking about um, if I am moving didactic, how am I putting in deliberate pauses? How am I stopping every 10, 12 minutes and checking where the learners are at, letting them think about the information and have them apply the information and then start to perhaps even uh, reflect upon it and what questions that they have. So again, uh, think in bite-sized chunks and practice that wait time, even though it sometimes in an online environment can seem way longer than a face-to-face. Those are two simple strategies, uh, I would say, for people that are just getting online to start thinking about. Do do you have uh, some tips as far as uh, are there two or three things that kind of come to the forefront of your mind? Because I think many people (laughs) haven't really thought about wait time or downtime. I mean, I I think that many people that have led lectures know like you count to some number in your head after you pose a question before you go on for that wait time. But we haven't really talked about it in this virtual domain. Can you give like an example or two where somebody might get off the ground uh, trying this? Uh? Yeah, one example uh, is again in a synchronous environment. I like to have my video on so that I can do a visual check of the learners and see um, again are people thinking, are people uh, paying attention. Um, another way for uh, allowing this wait time is again using those. Uh, non-verbal gestures, such as the raise the hand, um, the thumbs up, the the check marks, that yes. Uh, And I guess building off of that, uh, just again, it's a great strategy also to use for communication and information sharing. But again, a great tool to use for wait time. Have people um, post a prompt in a chat, uh, allowing a lot of people, uh, again, to contribute. and letting know where people are at. So those are a few quick tips and tricks, I would say, for an synchronous environment. Asynchronous is a little different because everyone's coming in at different times. Uh, So again, putting parameters around saying, uh, if you are taking a group of, a cohort of learners together, doing something such as giving some timeline expectations, having initial prompts uh, posted by such and such date, and then follow up by another date to allow people the time to process and contribute uh, as well as then get feedback from everybody else. 
So this leads in then to my next question. Uh, so we've talked about a little bit about ways that we can try making this virtual learning environment effective. Uh, I think part of the effectiveness, many people might argue, is you, you have to have engagement or buy-in of the learner. And I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts about how we can facilitate, encourage, um, coach that engagement in our learners in a virtual environment? I'm going to go back uh, again to the establishment of virtual presence and setting that netiquette, I think that is, again, allow the learner to understand how to socially engage within that environment. Uh, knowing those expectations allows for that first step forward in cognitive engagement. So how do I start, again, just my learning process? So we should probably just talk, like that word netiquette is a little bit of a fancy word, and probably okay. many people can guess what that means. But uh, if you just... Couch that for us. So netiquette is online etiquette. How do I engage with others in this online environment? It could be as simple as mute your microphone when you're not talking. It could be as advanced as talking about how you uh, demonstrate you're at the table, such as an effective learning skill. And if uh, Dr. Kreuter, uh shared a comment verbally, how in my response, I would build upon his response. So again, netiquette is this online etiquette. And we can share some of those resources with you along with this podcast. Virginia Shea is one of my, my favorites for um, netiquette. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So how does the netiquette feed into this engagement of learners? Netiquette allows learners uh, and I'm going to coach faculty as part of this learner uh, facilitator present in the fact that, again, it reduces the barriers of entry into this new environment and really allows people to start having conversations, uh, simple things such as just sharing information and then starting to progress to what you described earlier, this engagement. So really, how do I start to integrate, apply, create within this environment? And there's a lot of great tools to do that. But again, it, it takes a little planning in advance and it really it gives us an opportunity to rethink perhaps some of the things that we do in a face-to-face -face environment. Imagine it um, in this virtual environment. So I'm going to give one example, such as using breakout rooms, allowing perhaps a larger group of individuals. It's hard to get everyone's voice. So let's break out um, in these breakout rooms, allow for small group. Uh, we're seeing this a lot with team-based learning uh, and then maybe uh, doing also some uh, breakout rooms to do uh, case-based learning and then bringing it back to a large group to do some presentation or to have uh, discussion of key points. So having a representative from that small group. That would be one example of synchronous. I, I really love that example because um, that is something that has been uh, part of my unfortunate experience uh, lately because um, with this COVID pandemic, there's these large groups that you have to have all this information given out. Uh, sometimes I'm on these national calls and there's over a hundred people on the call and 
uh, even though it's it's something to where there might be times where the leaders are wanting to facilitate some discussion that really uh, logistically can't happen in an effective way with groups that size. So I really appreciate your heads up to everybody to, you know, really chunk it down if people are really going to be able to engage. We're talking about engagement aspect right now. And as one big, large clump, it's so hard to manage that. And in fact, really decreases from the learner experience uh, as well. I think coupling with that very nicely, uh, tools, free tools to us, uh, Google Forms, um, MindMeister. So again, Google Forms and Google Docs, I should say also, really allow for some of that collaborative note-taking and <clears throat> ongoing assessment of uh, for a virtual facilitator, whether it is at a national meeting, whether it's within a, a, a smaller group. Um, MindMeister is an example of a concept map, allowing people to collaboratively uh, contribute to the organization of information and then again uh, through that organization start to apply it to uh, different scenarios. So those are just a couple of tools again with this breakout room that are outside of a, a, a virtual video type of conferencing tool. But again, free, available and allow us to really scale up this engagement effort. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. So if we could hit pause for a second and maybe just transition the perspective, because there's learners that listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the teachers can also be the learners, as you pointed out earlier. <laughs> so, you know, if transitioning now to the to learner mind, um, to learner perspective, uh, to do perspective taking here, um, I imagine when we're talking engagement for learners, we're the advice that you're sharing out is I imagine like uh, give give this stuff a chance uh, follow through on these directions give feedback to faculty but are there any other um, recommendations you might have for how might somebody who hasn't really learned this way historically uh, give this virtual learning environment its best opportunity yeah for somebody that hasn't um, been in this particular environment, I really want to reinforce your comment about, um, again, giving feedback, that, that transparency on both the learner and the faculty perspective is important. I think from a faculty perspective, um, I know we're looking at the learner, but how are we creating that opportunity for um, structuring for that learner uh, so that they have that opportunity to give that input. Um, I'm really thinking also about our learners are doing a lot of amazing things right now that as faculty members, if we start reaching out uh, to learn a little bit from them, how are they curating content? Um, can they be synthesizing some of these discussions that are happening? It, your question I triggered a few other thoughts in my mind, again, pulling into the people that um, 
again, the value of the learner, I want to highlight that, the value of the learner and what they're doing right now for their own learning, understanding that from a faculty perspective, how, so how we can engage them at a, a, a different level instead of just, again, regurgitating something that they may be already familiar with. But then those that are really new to this environment, again, giving them that structure. So really that, uh, one, how do you interact within, within this environment? And as a faculty member, as a, a learner in this environment, thinking about how you are helping facilitate that discussion and that engagement. So how are you encouraging others to join in? Um, one strategy, I'm gonna do a shout out to uh, a colleague, Holly Gooding at Emory. One of the things she, uh, she does very well is she calls it discussion pastures, but piece of paper by her side. And as uh, she is facilitating some type of virtual uh, synchronous discussion or even an asynchronous discussion, does a little tally um, of who is contributing. So I think strategies like that also help a faculty member look at maybe who is being successful and maybe who needs a little bit extra um, coming into this environment. Interesting. So I think you're you're starting to get into now this idea of uh, feedback, eliciting feedback, so that we understand how do we adjust things. Because I suppose the analogy is uh, we're uh, we're in this environment now. We're driving. We're that uh, 15 and a half year old kid driving down the highway in the car, and we need to you know be looking at our speedometer or different things so that we know that we need to do more gas, more brake, change something altogether. Um, one part I just wanted to explore a little further because I think I think it's interesting. I mean, this kind of goes on the same idea of taking different perspectives. But your thoughts on how could uh, educators monitor this environment to get that valuable feedback? I, I think people new to this area they don't necessarily know like uh, like the fifteen and a half year old kid knows to look at their speedometer. You know what what sort of things should they be looking at? And you brought up the point about creating the opportunity for learners to give feedback. Um, are there certain things that they should be asking for feedback about? Uh, interested for your thoughts. Again, another great question, and thinking about this question in a synchronous versus an asynchronous. Uh, again, some of the strategies that earlier on we've talked about in synchronous is just a, a pause and post uh, to the chat, um, or a again using uh, some type of nonverbal gesture to see how things are going. Just a quick check-in um, with the learners. Also, I, I would reinforce. Uh, one of my colleagues does very, very well, um, Dr. Patty Thorne, things called pulse checks. So again, just what is happening during this uh, session itself that's working, um, maybe I'm a little muddy point, um, before that the learners are actually left the classroom and you can't do anything about it. So how can you um, do that uh, real time? I think in asynchronous, uh, using Again, I know that we use a lot of surveys, but I want to think about how can we ask questions that get that meaningful feedback to us. And asynchronously, we can look at data and look at how many times people have viewed and how many times people have posted, but we really aren't getting that. Do they understand? Um, have they really, again, engaged cognitively or if they had just walked through the steps? 
So using tools uh, like Brookfield's uh, Critical Incident Questionnaire, uh, some of those questions are simple as, when were you most engaged? When were you least engaged? What is one action that somebody took that surprised you? Um, what is one key takeaway that you have from this session? It can get at both the logistics of how a person's facilitating, and it can also get at the content as well. You'll get a variety of responses, but again, simple questions like that get to more of the detail of the facilitation, the content, the experience, than maybe looking at just the, the analytics, um, unless they're, I guess, more advanced analytics. But most of these tools that we're using are pretty basic and don't tell the whole story, as you pointed out so nicely about we really want learners to be engaged. Absolutely. So, I mean, on that note, I'd like to kind of circle back here and pull some of this together. We've been talking about, uh, you know, how to create effective learning, virtual learning environments. How can we make that engaging? Um, how can uh, we monitor things? Uh, and this concept has peaked its head up a couple of times during our conversation, but I wanted to shine a spotlight on it for our listeners. Um, and, and this is specific. So, a lot of things are changing uh, when we are using a virtual learning environment, but I just want to shine a, a spotlight on what things are not changing. What are, what are these fundamentals of education that whether what we've been used to doing in a classroom or in the laboratory face-to-face, -face, what are those fundamentals that are just uh, you know bedrocks of good educational practice? I'm going to start up answering that question with a comment that I've heard you make before, and it's really going back to what are your goals? What are your objectives that you want to achieve with learners? Start there and then align it with the technology. Um, technology is not, we don't want to use the bell and whistle. We want to be uh, building off that first point. The second point is being a deliberate practitioner. So again, we spend, we invest a lot of time in planning our face-to-face -face activities. Be deliberate about what we do. Uh, in a virtual environment, uh, things include integrating formative assessments or those frequent checkpoints with our learners and engaging them in co-collaboration of knowledge. And I, I think the third point really is, uh, again, continuing that human component. The, the relationship building is so important in the face-to-face environment for so many of our, our educators and our faculty. And uh, spend some time in embedding that in what you do in a virtual environment um, and making people feel that presence of yours also, whether it's asynchronously or synchronously. Oh, brilliant. I mean, for me, this now comes full circle. Uh, one of Dr. Hall's uh, first pieces of advice that she had for me when I uh, first was introduced to her was this concept of, of backward uh, design about starting with your goal and then working backwards because that really enables a deliberate selection of what tools we're going to be using uh, and really have a firm understanding of uh, our why uh, that we are going to use that. So I, I love how she's highlighting this strategy and um, whatever we do that we fundamentally want to be deliberate about it. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Hall, for joining us uh, today. So we've been rounding with Dr. Hall about educational technologies that enable virtual classrooms for our laboratory professionals to consider in the future. 
Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us. You can follow Dr. Hall on Twitter, highly recommended, at ERHall1 for more information and to follow her, her feed. So thank you for joining us today. We invite you, the listener, to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you have enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Thank you.